If we could, for just the time of this particular part of the service, if we could, I'm not, I'm not sure the, the spiritual maturity of everyone in the room, but for the purpose of being here, while you're in this particular room, for the, for the duration of the message, if we could just have everybody's attention. I think at times when we come in on a Sunday, we can be distracted by our phones or we're having conversations with people. I would ask you whether you believe in what we believe or not to respect that those of us that do so that we can have attention as we, as we do these things together. Amen? And because of the culture that we live in, I'm sure somebody's offended. So, If that's you, try to identify as not being offended this morning. It will go well with you and the Lord. We'll be pleased. All right, so we are going to continue in our series in Romans 8. Two weeks ago, we looked at Romans 8.18. It was one particular verse, and it highlights the reality. It's a, it's a reality for the Christian life. It's a reality of, of kingdom. The kingdom has come. Suffering comes with it, suffering with Christ. And then there's glory. Glory is given to Christ and those who were willing to suffer in this life with him. Now, we've looked at those details, so we're not going to review all of that, but that's a, a serious biblical reality is kingdom, suffering, and glory. And so in, in, in 8.18, God wanted Paul to write the words that he considered that the suffering that you experience in this life as a believer is not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed to us as we persevere to the end. So this is the reality. This is an encouraging word from the Lord. And I believe it's because if anyone knows about suffering, Jesus does. If anyone knows what it's like to be falsely accused or to be betrayed or to be sinned against, it's God himself. But he doesn't minimize the suffering that we experience. He doesn't belittle it or think that it's not legitimate because we also are sinful. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to go to hell. God still doesn't look at our suffering as something that should be overlooked. It's something that he cares about, but it's a part of the process in which we become like him so he doesn't remove it. But he knows for some of us that will be a stumbling block to faith in him, right? Suffering discourages us. So in, in Romans 8.18, he wants to remind us that the sufferings that we're going to experience or that we have experienced or that we're currently experiencing are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And to be honest, most of the suffering that many of us, particularly in this room, will experience is the resistance to temptations that we get pleasure from. In fact, there are probably people in this room who are choosing not to suffer to follow Jesus because the temptations that they get when they pursue pleasure are better. They're more immediate. See, it takes real faith to believe that something that I want now is not as good as something that I can't see that I'm hoping for later. That takes real faith. Because in all honesty, like the stuff that we can experience now is all right. It's okay. It's only when... It's only when we have real faith, when we, as Jesus said, set our minds on things above that we can say, look, this is, I'm going to still believe even though the circumstances around me 
don't look like God is doing what he said he was doing, which we heard last week in Psalm 73. I'm looking at everything. I'm seeing all the wicked prosper. And it's like, man, they're having all the fun. They're the happiest. They're the richest. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Never seen them go look at missionaries. Why did, wasn't humility honored in the culture? What's a form of suffering for us? Why is just a simple belief that you have that lines up with the Bible now a form of hate speech? There's a real reality here. So God encourages that. He encourages that there's going to be glory that we see. But in the next couple of verses, our passage today, to go a step further, God writing and speaking through Paul on behalf, Paul speaking on behalf of God, gives us a glimpse into something that we probably often don't think about. There's another form of suffering. There's another part of glory that will be revealed to us. And he begins to unpack that in verse 19. I'm reading from the CSB translation. And I quote, beginning in verse 19, ending in verse 22. He says this, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. Huh? <laughs> For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So we went from our sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed to us to now this picture of creation and this, this biblical reality that creation is also suffering. <coughs> that creation is also waiting. Waiting for God's children to be revealed. Now in some ways, this is a straightforward passage. This, there's, in some parts of it, it's like, okay, that makes sense. In other parts of it, it's like, oh, man, what is he talking about? And that's okay. Peter said some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. Peter, inspired by the Spirit. The Spirit was like, hey, Paul, sometimes be. <laughs> so in some ways, this is straightforward, but like many parts in the Bible, in some ways, it's not. All right, so here's what straightforward is. Here's straightforward. Verse 19. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. That's straightforward. Even though it's like, but it's straightforward. Coming off of verse 18, this verse says a couple of incredible things. One, because verse 18 highlights that we are waiting for the glory to be revealed to us, when it gets to verse 19 for creation, it's clearly separating humanity from creation. So it's not lumping everything and it's not repeating it that we're waiting. It's saying, no, this is subpersonal, subhuman creation. 
Creation is distinct from humanity in this verse. Even though we are created by God, because we're made in God's image, this verse is creating a distinction. That it's not just we as human beings, particularly those who are Christians are waiting for the glory of God to be revealed, where faith becomes sight. He's saying subhuman, subperson is also waiting. So plants, animals, atmosphere. He said creation is waiting eagerly with anticipation. Now think about that. You know, Christmas is coming. For those of us who are adults, Christmas has become, we basically give the money back that we spend on others back to them. We just swap the money, right? Here's a gift card for 100. Yep, here's your gift card for 100. Here you go. Thank you. Here's $100 cash I gave you. Here's 120. Where's the other 20? It's just an even swap, right? Except when you're children, though. When you're a kid, Man, it's Christmas. I mean, when I was a kid, I would wake up before the sun. And I didn't grow up on no farm. There was no roosters or nothing. I grew up in the city, but I was the rooster. Woo-hoo, it's Christmas. I was up early, sitting by the tree, plugged in the lights by myself, and just waited. Made breakfast for everybody. I was seven. Eggs and bacon. Burnt. <laughs> I was excited. There was eager expectation. Finally, the toy that I wanted, I think, is in that box. Remember when you would look at the boxes and be like, man, that's got to be that. Oh, that's that transformer. I remember I wanted Soundwave one year. And I said, man, that's about the right size. <laughs> That's Soundwave right there. Then my mom would grab the box and look at it, look at the name, and gave it to my brother. And I was like, that's wrong. That's sinful. There was an eager expectation for something good to happen. The scripture is telling us that creation has an eager anticipation. This is an intense expectation for what? for the restoration component of the gospel to take place. Now, this may sound strange, but this is, this is familiar ground in the Bible. You may remember this popular phrase when, when Jesus was coming, when he was, riding, he was coming down to the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd, it says this in Luke 19, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Psalm 96, 11 and 12 says, Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. If a tree falls and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah. Like I said, I'm like, why do people ask that question like it's profound? Yeah, it makes a sound. It sounds like this. 
Psalm 98 says this, let the rivers clap their hands. See, if we're not going to do this, when Tim and Katie had us like this today, if we ain't do it, then that river down there said, we'll join in there because of who God is. Let the mountains shout together for joy. Isaiah 35, 1, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. Creation is alive. It may not have a brain and a nervous system like we do, but it knows how to worship God. And that creation is waiting for restoration to happen. In other words, everything will be made plain. It will be made right, particularly those of us who are believers and who inherit the earth as it belongs to Jesus. Now, here's what's not so straightforward, though. So that's straightforward. Here's what's not so straightforward. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. That's not as straightforward. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it. Huh? In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. It's not so straightforward. Now, passages like this remind me of a good movie. Now, we've all seen bad movies. You've watched movies where a quarter of the way through, you got it figured out. You know what's going to happen. You know it's a bad movie when you've missed. Me and my kids, we go to the movies all the time. And the movies always start at a certain time, 9.30, 10.30, 11, 12, 4, 5, whatever. And whenever, if we're running a little bit late and it's a long line and we get to the concession stand, question I always ask, me and Santiago always want to know this. Hey, excuse me, miss, I know the movie starts at 4, but how long are the trailers? And they'll say, because uh, they know what that means. Whenever it says 4 o'clock, you know it's really about 4.22, right? So we say, hey, how long are the trailers? And they'll be like, they'll look. Oh, okay, yeah, you got about seven minutes. Good. Put some butter on that popcorn. Hurry up. No, 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 more butter than that. <laughs> and you get into the movie. You don't want to miss the beginning scene. In a good movie, a good movie, you need this scene to understand this scene. If you can watch a movie that doesn't, and you come in halfway and you figured it out and you got it, that's not a good movie. That's not a good movie. If you don't believe me, Ask Chris. It's not a good movie. A good movie is when this scene explains this scene. Well, in this passage, this scene needs to be explained by another scene in the Bible. So in order to understand this scene and go from huh to oh, we got to go to a different scene. Because if we don't, then this scene won't make sense and it's not a good movie. So to go from this scene in Romans 8, we have to go to this scene in Genesis chapter 3. We have to understand Genesis chapter 3 to understand what is being said 
here. So this is scene one, then Genesis chapter three is scene two. This is the background story to understand this. Again, you go to any movie, you, don't, you can't figure out, well, why is he trying to kill him? If you miss part of the movie, why he's trying to kill him? Oh, because, or if you watch a movie and it just jumps into action, then it'll all of a sudden give you backstory, right? Then, then you get, you ever watch a movie where it starts off one place and then the backstory is so long you forget that it started off that way? Yeah. <laughs> and then it ends up back to where it is. You're like, oh, it all comes together, right? Let's make this all come together. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. I'm going to make an assumption. I'll say this quickly. In Genesis, God created man and woman, created creation. Everything in six days. On the sixth day, he created man and woman and gave them authority to rule over the earth. To rule over the earth. And he said, what I've made is good. And on the seventh day, he rested. He only gave them one prohibition to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was because if they ate from that tree, then they would decide what good and evil was instead of trusting God's definition of good and evil. That was the only thing he said you can't eat from. Okay? The backstory to this story. Here we go. Genesis 3, verses, beginning verse 1. And I quote, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at it, to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of to her husband, who was also with her, and he ate it. Now, what happens after this? I'm gonna the narration part, right? So then God, they they decide that they're naked, they don't like that they're naked. They decide that it's evil to be naked, even though God said it was good. They make fig leaves for themselves. They hear God's voice coming towards them, and they hide. And then God speaks to them and says, what happened? He calls out Adam. Adam said, I'm hiding. I'm afraid. He said, who told you that you were naked? Adam says, a woman that you made, that you made for me. She did it. She said it was the serpent. He said it was all of you. And beginning in verse 16, here's what he says. He says to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. Mm -hmm. Don't be mad at us. Mm -hmm. Eve did that. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. That's a different sermon. A different sermon. And he said to the man, because you have listened, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust and you will return to dust. So here's the scene. Now many of us who are Christians understand the theology of sin and where sin comes from. So Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They represent all humanity. So whatever they did affected the rest of us from their own. 
So when Adam and Eve bite the fruit, they now decide good and evil on their own apart from God. And every human being has that problem. All of us. We all determine good and evil apart from God. And so Jesus comes, lives according to God's definition of good and evil. He's punished on the cross as if he lived according to our definition of good and evil, which is sinful. And then he says, whoever believes in me will be forgiven for living according to their definition of good and evil, will be given my spirit to remind you, to encourage you to live according to God's definition of good and evil, and then we have the Christian life. So that's the first consequence, is that sin and suffering spread to humanity. But the consequence that we often overlook is that Adam's sin caused sin and suffering to spread to creation. So it wasn't just Mankind, it was creation. Now, how creation was impacted, we don't know for sure, but it's clear that sin didn't just affect humanity because there are consequences that God says, Adam, look what he said. Because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. So this is a consequence. Because you've done this, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will produce for you. This is what that means. Prior to sin, that's not how it was. This is the result of sin. The ground has been cursed. So we see a pattern here. In verse 16, he says, your desire to the wife, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. There will be conflict between humanity. But verse 17 says there will be conflict between man and earth and creation. So that conflict isn't just man to man, it's man to earth. The earth, the world changed. Theologically, they call this cosmic sin. It changed the cosmos. Now back to scene one in Romans 8. So when it says, for the creation was subjected to futility. This gives the reason why it's waiting eagerly for the restoration. It's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's waiting for all things to be done, for Jesus to come back, and for the sons of God to be revealed so that it itself is changed. But it says this, creation was subjected to futility. You know what futility means? Futility simply means uselessness, purposelessness, folly. It says creation was subjected. So God, because of Adam's sin, cursed the ground and subjected it to uselessness and purposelessness. Now think about that statement in light of what we know creation to be. Think of that. These are God's words. Think about that reality, that it's subjected to futility. It's useless and it lacks purpose compared to what it was. Now think about that in light of how we understand how we see creation. We still see beauty, majesty, and amazing things. Have you ever seen like a, a beautiful sunset over water? 
ever since Disney Plus came out, I'm going somewhere with this. This is serious. There's no majesty in, in this. But my family, I used to do this on YouTube while I watch these videos. But my family will watch the National Geographic portion of it. And there's all these, like, there's, these, there's this video about lion cubs and then the white wolf. And all of a sudden, we like these videos. I mean, we'll sit down there and just watch them. I mean, we could be, we could be like, angry at each other. Hey, man, he said that. And the white wolf. <laughs> and we'll watch it. And it's fascinating to watch, like, these pure animals. So, like, lions, all lions look the same to me. They all look dangerous. <laughs> they look identical. But it's fascinating to watch a lion have a pride and to watch the, the, the lioness hunt for the cubs and the cubs stay hidden and they're just wrestling and messing with each other. And then they hear their mom cry out and they come and they feed. It's amazing. I watched this video where this lion was looking for his brother. At least that's what the narrator said. He's not the lion whisperer, but that's what he said. He was looking for his brother. And it made sense because he was, he was crying out loud, and the, and the narrator was like, this really isn't a good idea because there's a lot of hyenas and different things that can surround the lion and attack him. And he had walked for miles and miles and miles. So it got nighttime, and finally the lion just kind of laid down. He was tired, and then all of a sudden he hears, this no, he hears a growl, and then he puts his head up, and then another lion is coming, and the narrator said, and there it is, his brother. And I was like, I want to see it first. Because they fight. And he came up to each other, and they just jumped up and hugged each other. And then they wrestled and rolled on the ground. And I was like, wow, that's the stuff my boys do. My son Mateo will come in and just jump on his brothers for no reason. Like, there's beauty. There's beauty in the world. There's beauty in in, in, a, in a rainforest. There's such beauty in creation. Where, have you ever pulled up? Have you ever seen a real mountain? Not the mountains in Pennsylvania, but the, but the real mountains. No, no disrespect to anybody from Pennsylvania. Don't take it personally. Identify as non-offended. But, but the real, I mean, I've seen, you see a real mountain, and it's just incredible. Incredible. We, we had the privilege to go to Lake Tahoe, and there was just this beautiful big lake surrounded around nothing but mountains. It was beautiful. The only bad part was where we stayed, there were bears in the area. That wasn't as beautiful as the, as the, as the, as the mountains were. I've seen beautiful things. But from God's perspective, that is useless and purposeless. The most beautiful things I see in creation compared to what they were intended to do and look like are purposes. They're futile. Think about that. Wow. From God's perspective, what I had originally planned creation to do for you is gone. It doesn't even serve the same purpose it was created for. There's a video I watched. There's a guy, a real guy's name is Kevin Richardson. He's called the Lion Whisperer. And this guy, if you think I'm playing, Google this on YouTube. This is fascinating. This guy raises lions, feeds them, 
with milk bottles and all that stuff, and they grow up to be big, like big, like the cameraman was like, "Hey, is it okay if I?" He was like, "No, no, don't come in." He went to the lions cage. The lions will come up to him, and they will jump on him, and he's, he's like trying to hold it because this thing is big, and they love him. I saw this video where these 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 trainers trained raised these lions, and then they had to let them go into the wild. And the video was saying they're coming back five years later. Bravery. <laughs> Bravery. Five years later to where the lions were, where they let them go. First of all, you don't know if those lions are dead. Like I said, they all look the same. <laughs> this is what I appreciate about different ethnicities. So I'm going to be honest, because if black people were doing that, then we wouldn't know nothing about the, 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 the ocean. We wouldn't know nothing. Because I, I, ain't, I ain't doing that. I appreciate, I appreciate that people have the courage to go deep down in the water, see sharks and study that. We would just know it's fish in it. I wouldn't go. As a matter of fact, none of them, unless they were from Africa, with nobody there black. They was all like, hey, you go ahead and you film. But these two guys just walked in, and I was like, man, is this about to be a tragedy? And it's about five years. These two big lions were kind of creeping, and I was like, man, this is going to be a bad scene. <laughs> they were creeping, and they got up, and they, they rose up, and they started to jog towards them, and then they just jumped up, and they hugged and licked these dudes. They haven't seen them for five years, but they remembered. What if the way creation was initially intended, that would be all of our experience? What if we would just be able to walk with the lions? I'm talking on some, 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 some. Uh, 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 all of us would be Mowgli, just walking around. Just like, <laughs> like creation changed after Adam and Eve bit the fruit. It's not the same. What was it so? Like, I, what was a beautiful sunset supposed to look like? What was it supposed to be like? The things that we call amazing that we see in creation, God says, compared to what it was supposed to be, useless. Doesn't even serve its purpose. That is incredible to me. We are impressed and mesmerized by useless things. We study and and look at documentaries of things that are useless in terms of what they were created to be. The language that, that God is using here said it was subjected to futility. Not even willingly, creation wanted to worship God. It wasn't creation didn't sin against God. The creature did. It said it was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it. But God didn't just punish it for no good reason. He punished it in the hope of the, of the restoration that was going to come. This is an incredible reality. Adam's sin has major consequences on the world that we know. And the most amazing things to us. Compared to what they were intended to do, our purposes. They're useless. Creation's purpose wasn't to be a thorn in the flesh 
to humanity. We don't even know if animals were supposed to be aggressive and attack us. We don't know. What God is saying is there are things that are clearly a result of the fall. And I have a list of a few. I think poison ivy and poison oak are a result of the fall. I think sticker briars. Because I said thorns and thistles. That's biblical. Poisonous plants. You ever watch that uh, bear gristle, whatever his name is? And he'll go in and he's about to eat something. Oh, no, don't eat that one. That's a poisonous plant. Praise God for him, because I would have been in there like, bear necessity. <laughs> I'm like, finally, some berries around here. Been dead in two minutes, according to him. Pollen is a result of the fall. Tomatoes are a result of the fall. Especially when they're sliced, a result of the fall. That response, a result of the fall. The reality is creation's purpose was not to, to, we're not supposed to wrestle with it and, and, and be anguished by it. It's the result of Adam's sin. It affected everything. And so now that very creation, the very idea, not just the idea, but the very notion, the very act of creation is supposed to be different. And we have no idea what that looks like. Creation, creation by itself is waiting to be restored to its original purpose. This is a fascinating reality. Creation is eagerly, eagerly anticipating for the restoration of all things because it desires to serve its purpose. When Jesus said the rocks would cry out, he means even they would worship God. Creation desires to worship God and was forced in judgment of decay. So even the decay that we see is a result of the fall. So is the earth really millions of years old? Or is decay a result of the fall? I ain't trying to offend no scientists in the room. But is it decay? It's been in bondage. For as beautiful as the world is, it's decayed. That's a serious reality. So when Paul says, I consider in verse 18 that the suffering you're experiencing, the decay that's in our lives, the decay from humanity is not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. He's talking about, listen, the earth is going to be different. We're going to be really impressed. Oh, you thought that scene was beautiful. Wait until you see this. That's why it's my belief. I can't prove this at all from Scripture. I know that it says there's a great, great cloud of witnesses as it gives the impression that they're watching us. I think the people who are loved ones who go to heaven, I think when they get to heaven and they see Jesus and they see what it really is, they're like, man, he got them covered. I, I see them when they come up. I see them when they come up. This is incredible. This is incredible. The glory that will be revealed to us is better than the suffering that we and creation is experienced now. And we're going to see for the first time what it was supposed to really be like. But for now, 
it is subjected to uselessness. And it doesn't have a real purpose for what it was intended to be. Now with that, now think of the reality of how much we still benefit from it. Think of the natural resources that come from. So even in God's judgment, the cursing of the earth, he still made sure that we would be able to benefit from it. He still made sure, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a verse in, in Exodus. This is, I, can't, I can't believe I'm forgetting this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Well, God was talking, they were talking about all the people that were in the land, the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, all these different people that they were afraid of. And God said this, I'm paraphrasing, I cannot remove all of those people because if I do, the wild beasts will be too much for you and overtake you. In other words, the people that are there, they serve a purpose to help kill the wild animals that are there. Because if I remove all those people, then all those wild animals will overwhelm and kill you. Even though he cursed creation, we still benefit from it. We still can see a beautiful apple tree. There's pumpkin patches, cornfields that look amazing. There's interaction between animals that is incredible. The way that, I mean, I, the way that God provides for animals. What I'm curious personally is I'm curious to know what were crocodiles and alligators like before the fall? Because you can't even dip your toe near them. They just think kill. You never, I mean, I've seen a lot of, I've seen lions come up and hug and lick humans. I never seen no human swim across no river where there was a crocodile alligator in it and get to the other side. If it is, show me, please. And that'll be the only one you see. The reality is the world we live in is not the world we're going to stay in. At least not how it looks to us. The colors may change. The interaction with animals may change. Can you imagine if some fish were like, hey, man, you don't got to throw no bait. I'll just jump in the frying pan right now. Man, I got you. <laughs> Can you imagine that? We watched this video about these lions that are climb up in trees and they sleep in trees. Can you imagine a lion being like, oh, I'll go up there and get you that fruit. Man, how many women you want? Shaking the tree so they just drop. Like, Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Lionel. <laughs> the encouragement for us in this is that we're going to suffer right now. We're choosing to suffer because Jesus chose to suffer for us. And if we persevere through that suffering, like creation has persevered, then we're going to see a glory that is incredible. What did Paul say? In 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I heard words uttered that no human being can utter. So I saw things that were so incredible, the human mind can't articulate. Remember when John saw Jesus in Revelation, and his, his hair was bronze and uh, hair like fire and eyes 
And he was just like, and he dropped. He couldn't even recognize Jesus. That was his best friend. He said that he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in the Gospel of John. But when he saw him in glory, he couldn't even recognize him. He dropped dead. And the spirit had to pick him back up. The things that we're going to see are drop dead gorgeous. But we have to persevere to the end. We have to believe and continue to believe. Even though the culture says you are idiots for believing. Remember Psalm 73. No, we're actually not. <laughs> we're going to see for the first time what creation should have been like but until then verse 22 for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now I love the language because this groaning, then the groaning that we're going to talk about, it'll be discussed further in next week's message. But I'll say this, essentially the groaning that it's talking about here is a sort of a, a how long, oh Lord, response in suffering. It's not talking about an actual sound, this passage. It's talking about a feeling of despair. The sigh of disappointment. The agony of discouragement. The heartbreak of a failed relationship. The pain of a loss of a loved one. That groaning. It's saying creation has been doing that all along. Now what that means practically, I don't know. But I imagine things like earthquakes Volcanic eruptions. Yeah, there's scientific explanations for these things where the tectonic plates have shifted. Okay, that's a scientific explanation, but it's the earth is groaning. It's groaning. Now, I'll be honest, I've been one that's been like, not really, I haven't really paid much attention to climate change, but it's in a warm January, though. That little girl, Greta Thornburg, or whatever her name is, might be right. What's her name? Greta Thunderbird or something? I don't know what her name is. But the creation is groaning with labor pains until now. This analogy is interesting because it further shows the intrinsic connection between creature and creation. Go back to scene two, Genesis three, verse 16. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. So Eve's judgment was that labor pains in childbirth would happen, which is a form of suffering. A form of suffering. Even contractions. My wife's been pregnant three times. Contractions? It changed the moment. <laughs> you could be chilling, like, yeah, man, ooh, ooh. What's wrong? Something. They change the moment. That pain. Labor pains. By God's design, that pain usually lasts nine months for women. And then they give birth to a baby. And the 
And for most, for most women, the, the joy of that child is twofold. One, it's finally out of my body. <laughs> I mean, you see some women, they just look more pregnant than pregnant. It's like, man, how you doing? I can't wait till this thing get out. So the joy is it's finally out, but then the joy is it's finally here. And you hold this baby, and it's such a beautiful thing, and it's so amazing that women will subject themselves again and again and again to another process of pregnancy, labor pains, to experience the joy of that again. Well, the, the language in Genesis 3 is used in Romans 8. That creation is experiencing like labor pains. But it's been happening for however many years since Genesis 3 occurred. And saying, it's, it won't be delivered. It won't, give, it won't get to be delivered until the restoration of all things is coming. So the pain that creation experienced, the groaning and the waiting to see the sons of God to be revealed is because when they're revealed, we're going to be different. We're going to be changed. There's an intrinsic connection. Creation has been in labor pain since Genesis 3. Waiting, suffering, humanity, suffering. But not all of us are waiting. Those who believe in Christ ought to be waiting. Everyone suffers. Okay, what you believe, everyone suffers. But not everyone is waiting. This is to tell us to be waiting. Everyone suffers, but believers, we wait. And by waiting, it means we still believe. By still believing, it means that we fight sinful actions and attitudes. We still come to church. We still fight to love one another, even though we might sin against one another. We still try to increase in the knowledge of God. We connect with our community, even though none of those people are going to thank us or come back to visit us, never believe in the same God or be baptized in front of us. We still connect with them. We serve the community, our church. We volunteer for kids' ministry, even if we don't like kids, because we, the church needs it. We give. Because he's given to us. We do these things as we wait for the Lord. Either him coming to us or him telling us to come to him. It is our reality. Creation's initial use and purpose will be restored. And what he says in Romans 8.18, it says, listen. It's worth seeing. It's worth seeing. Because those who don't wait don't get to see. You ever heard the phrase a wait and see approach? Mm -hmm. Those who don't wait don't see. Those who don't wait don't see. Grace is not that amazing 
that anyone can just live how they want and they get to see the glory of God. Even though every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, but not all of them, not all of them will be rewarded. Not all of them will bow their knee in joy and worship. Some of them will bow their knee in judgment and condemnation. Those who wait, see. So when he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory to be revealed in us, he says creation is even waiting for that glory because when it comes, everything's going to be different. Everything. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility because of him, God, who subjected it, cursed it because of Adam's sin, in the hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. You hear that phrase? Into the glorious freedom of God's children. Back into the purpose in which it was supposed to have for God's children. That's the glorious freedom. So creation is also enslaved. And there's a waiting to be freed to fulfill this purpose for us that God had intended. But for now, verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains. And next week's message will focus on what that groaning means for us. What it means for us. Questions? So growing up in um, several different faith traditions, um, one of the things I was challenged my first year when I was at Messiah um, was the, the, um, the verse talking about uh, subduing the earth and cultivating and taking care of the earth as our, as our Christian responsibility. Um, is based on now what we're talking about, and this is the first time I've really picked this out from this um, part of Romans, in lieu of everything talking about our responsibility to still care and take care of the earth, do we still use this as kind of a support for the, kind of that mandate, or is that, is that kind of taking it to a, to a different level than what Paul was thinking? So the Noahic covenant is typically what people go back to, right? Sort of uh, the covenant with Noah that's reestablished from Genesis to be fruitful and multiply the earth, right? Subdue the earth. And so you're asking, is this passage saying continue in that or is it going against it? Is that what you're asking? With everything going on with, with global warming, the climate change and et cetera, and some are saying, well, that's not really our responsibility and I'm, it, it kind of makes me wonder, is it? Mm. So, okay, so if I take the logic of the passage, right? God subjected the world to futility, right? And, hu and so sin and suffering is also a part of creation. So on one level, and then you look at subdue the earth and multiply on the earth. That's been happening. There may be some portions of the earth that no one is, but for the most part, that's been established. 
That's happened. There's what, seven billion people on the earth? All over the place, right? So the, all that's happened. Things like climate change and all those things are, to me, both a result of sin and suffering in creation and also a result of sinfulness of humanity. So I do not think that human beings are supposed to disregard the earth at all. But I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a biblical conviction personally that I should take up the cause of like climate change and those things. I don't see that for me as a believer. Now, someone else may have a different perspective, and I need to see that from the Bible. But I also don't see, well, we're going to get a new heavens and new earth anyway, so who cares? This is still a place of stewardship for the believer. And as best as we can, we want to steward it. So there might be a time where you show up, you know, when you see trash. And I don't think and you, you put the trash away. It just, it just, because even though it's flawed, God has still given us a desire for aesthetic things, for things that are for beauty. And not taking care of things don't make it beautiful, right? So I think that's what, so I don't think that, I personally, I know some Christians are like, we got to, I don't, I get it, the, no, the Noahic mandate has been fulfilled for real. I mean, I mean, at one level, where else are we going to multiply? So, like, and we're subduing the earth. I mean, you, we just watch these Discovery Channel things. They got cameras and everything. They got fake fish swimming around, and they got fake, like, creatures. They can walk in, and animals think that they really creatures with them. Or they use drones. I mean, we can see we're doing a lot. So, I would say, yeah, I think we still have a responsibility to be faithful, uh, but I think we have more responsibility to believe and persevere in the Lord. And let me say this. If you're more convicted at throwing trash out the window than giving in to some sin, I think that's, that's all. I know some people are like, oh, man, I threw trash out the window. It's like, fam, you got way more problems than that. <laughs> like, throwing trash out the window is the least of your concerns, bro. Glad that there's some conviction there, but, man, you can leave that bag. There's something else you need to do. But I think we do have a responsibility to be stewards, though. Yeah. Good question, bro. Anyone else? Natalie? That's why I'm glad Holly does it, man. You get a shake. Um, before everything was cursed, do you think that um, all the animals were vegetarians and, like, obviously we weren't eating meat, right? Like, because, what do you, what do you? Yeah, so we not vegans here. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, what no, God I, I mean, you know what? It's a good question. I don't know. Here's the things that we do know that change. We do know that the serpent changed, right? So whatever snakes looked like before... They were cursed, and now you slither on the ground. So we have no idea what impact things had. If, if, things, if animals were created and they were perfect, and I don't think they would be adversarial. So, and, and, and God did say the plants of the earth, right? You eat those. Mankind eats those. So I would imagine that there probably was more of a, a plant-based diet. You know? <laughs> Having said that, though, the Lord declared all foods clean, right? So, like, when I watch the game today, I'm eating some shrimp. Amen. Right? So, I, yeah, it's hard to say, but, but here's the thing, though. Wait and see, right? We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah, go ahead. Spencer. Hey, uh, thanks, Pastor Kurt. Um, verse 19 in Romans 8 says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. What does it mean for God's sons to be revealed? It just means, like, so those who belong to God. Right. When God's sons are revealed, that's when all the people who are Christians are. It's known. It's, it's the rest. It's a it's a it's basically a, a way to the restoration of all things when all things are revealed. So because you look at Revelation 21, right, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. 
God says, I will make all things new. So it's a way of saying that creation is waiting for God's sons to be revealed is another way of saying for the restoration of all things to occur. And the reason why, because when God's sons are revealed, then the new earth and the new heaven will be established. So whatever the earth was will be returned back to what it should have been, or maybe even something beyond that, maybe something better because it's new. So it'll probably be better than what it was in its original creation, original intention. Yep. So um, I was thinking um, concerning this issue of abortion, and then you say the child was going in labor pain. So if women do commit abortion, do you think that they're destroying part of creation when they do that? Because, you know, like, you know, because we're part of the creation because we were created from the dust of the earth. So would that sin be like you're by giving abortion, you're destroying part of creation by destroying um, a cell? Because we already know it's sinful, but is it like could that be like a way of using people who like people who think it's wrong to harm the earth, but it's okay to get an abortion? So is that like a way of connecting them to show the hypocrisy in their thinking? I mean, I think it's a good angle. I mean, I like the angle. I'd want to explore it a little bit more. But I like the angle, but I, I think. I think it's a good angle. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's creation, right? So, I mean, the scripture talks a lot about, you know, being known in the womb and you form me in the womb. So, there's a, so that's a reality. It's not, it's not just a woman's right to choose. And to be honest, if we're being just humanly speaking honest, you know, it takes a man to also help make that baby. So why doesn't he have a right to say anything about that, right? So there, there's a, that's a different, that's a different, that's a different, it's a conversation. We'll talk about this situation at the church, but that's a different, that's a different conversation. But yeah, I, so I think, it's a, I think it's a good angle. It's a good angle. I think it's a good philosophical angle, but I need to think about it more if I, if I would be like, oh, this is one that uses, but that's a good angle, yeah. One or two more? Yeah, BK? What would be the difference between, whoa. My man is fast, the phantom. And I didn't swear. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> we in church. I've always been confused on the one hand about uh, the new heaven, the new earth, but also, you know, and where where the elected are, are going to be because God, uh, Jesus said he's going to make a place for us in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I've, yeah, I'm pretty clear on a lot of what your vision is like. Mine is more of a sort of, Star Trek looking down on everything, you know, mm -hmm. kind of version. Um, but, you know, where are we? Uh, you know, if I'm vain enough to say I'm, I'm, I'm not one of the elected, uh, you know, what's the, what is the future? Is it going to still be here on earth? Is it going to be in heaven? Is it going to be in both? That's a good question. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I think scripture is a little vague on that. But if you read like Randy Alcorn, who probably to me is one of the foremost. I don't know, Carl, do you know anybody else who's written on heaven as, as extensively as, like, Randy Alcorn? Uh, N.T. Wright. Yeah, N.T. Yeah, Wright. Dr. Lee, do you know anybody on, uh, I saw you, anybody on heaven? You got a book on heaven, don't you, Dr. Lee? Then, okay, then you should answer this question. No, I, I, you know, I think, I think, I think there, the scripture describes a new heaven and a new earth. When I read Randy Alcorn's book, he, he, he painted out, when you look at the measurements of the city of heaven, that heaven, you see, heaven's supposed to, in his view, come down on earth. So you see this, the, the, the uh, heaven coming out of the Father, right? This is Revelation 21. And so where is it going to come out? Where is it going to land? So this view, lands on earth. And he said the measurements of the city, when you look at the measurements, would be from 
the middle of Denver, Colorado, to the middle of Mexico. Like, that's how big the city would be. Now, Paul calls it a third heaven, so it's hard to know, but the earth is fundamentally a part of it. So I think at the very least, uh, Belinda Carlisle had a song called Heaven on Earth in 1987. I think she was, she, she said, heaven is a place on earth. I think she was prophetic. I think, I think there's going to be a new earth, and heaven will exist with that. But I think there will be levels of heaven, and I think there will be people who probably have a little bit more privilege, and there will be rewards in heaven. But how that plays out, man, wait and see. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know what I've read, but I don't know articulate because I can't, I can't. Scripture, I feel like it's not as plain. I just know that there is a new heaven and a new earth. black and white image, you know, I'm going to make a place for you and for everyone in heaven. Right. So my father's house has many rooms. But if the father, if he says earth is my footstool, then do we know that Jesus isn't meaning the earth is a part of his house? That's the thing he said, heaven is my, is my throne and earth is my footstool. Right. So he rules everything. So I don't know if it's like, well, my house is over here. And I think he's saying there's a place in heaven for all who believe. And whether that's in the, the analogy of a house, I don't know if he meant, okay, there's an apartment complex and BK's on the fifth floor and cursing 905, looking out the window, you know, or if it means the kingdom of heaven becomes a reality and it governs the earth. And we're in the earth. But we have the ability to get to and fro faster than Elon Musk's uh, train. So. One more question, and then we got a, any other questions you can ask me afterwards. Ask Carl or Dr. Lee. Oh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the reality of and the, and, the, and the command, the privilege to wait and see. For you know that what we experience in this life is frustrating, it's heartbreaking. It rattles our faith at times. Some of us have walked away from you. Some of us are trying to come back. Some of us have never left. But we all, on some level, experience some, some aspect of discomfort to trust you and follow you. And you don't minimize that. You don't belittle that. You speak directly to it and you say that what we're experiencing is not worth being compared. And then you show us this morning that, that creation will experience a degree of, of glory. That creation is also waiting and is anticipating for the, for the restoration of all things where the sons and daughters are now revealed and we're the only ones on the earth. Those of us with you with the angels and, and the other creatures that, that are created to worship and glorify you. Creatures that we haven't seen like cherubim and, and other creatures that just we see described in heaven. We will be with them. But to get there, it requires a perseverance. It requires us to acknowledge that the pleasures that we can experience now that we would that can be sinful are worth resisting, even though they can be difficult to resist for a pleasure that we'll experience later. And so we hope, we have hope that what we don't see right now is true because you said it 
and you've given us a roadmap in your word. Lord, everyone in this room has failed miserably and will fail miserably. But you have forgiven completely. And you give us courage. For we don't always fail. And that we are sons and daughters, saints, co-heirs. We are the, we are the children waiting expectantly by the Christmas tree for the gift. The difference is the gift is way better than we thought. It's way better than we wanted because even our imaginations are to some degree useless. We're not capable in this form because of sin. We're not capable of having the imaginations for the things that we'll see. So we take Paul at his word that whatever it is, it's worth waiting so that we can see it. So Father, as we participate in communion now, we do this as part of the act of remembering what you did on the cross for us that reminds us to continue in this life to wait, to suffer the things we must suffer to receive the glory. Not because we necessarily deserve it, but because you said you're going to give it for those who trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Gushers can come forward. We're going to take communion just as a, as a reminder of Jesus dying on the cross. And this would be for those who profess to believe in Jesus. So if that's not where you're at, if you're not a Christian and you don't profess to believe, that's okay. But this is the one act of the service that we'd ask you to just pass the tray by. Because this is for those who profess to believe and who live, who strive to live according to that belief. This isn't to alienate anyone. It's just to honor what the Lord said. To remember his sacrifice. So we do this in this moment and then after that we will be released. And if you have any questions about the faith, what it means to be a Christian, there are plenty of people here that would love to answer those questions.